0: Hello, hello and welcome to Red Letters. I'm your host, David Johnson. This is the podcast where we discuss all things Jesus, the God, the man, the teachings. We skeptics don't believe Jesus was God, and some skeptics don't believe he was a man. But we all agree that there were teachings ascribed to Jesus. And it is to those teachings we now turn. Today's exploration, why did Jesus come at all? And why does he need to come again? I do want to thank everyone for participating in the discussion in week one. It was a fantastic week as we explore the question of whether Jesus was God and how would we know. Uh, You can read that uh, conversation. Better yet, participate in that conversation in the comments. If you are a member, a patron of Truth at $1 per episode, you can do that. You will not be charged until the end of February, and you will not be charged for any podcasts that air in the month of January because I'm making all of those free to the public. So go ahead and uh, sign up for your membership now. That way you can get other benefits like being able to Uh, Participate in the discussions and uh, get the newsletter that I'll put out at the end of every month. The first one will come out, excuse me, it will come out at the end of January. Now, the second week, we had Dr. Terry Daniel. Uh, She was a fantastic guest, uh, a very fun show. We talked about grief and loss. She is a secular chaplain and she specializes in toxic religion, the effects of toxic religion. And so, I do encourage uh, you to go back and listen to that show. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off in week one. I I promised this episode, and uh, I did not know that we were going to be doing the Terry Daniel episode uh, last week. And so I'm just going to pick up uh, right where we left off and ask the uh, next follow on question Why on earth did Jesus come at all? Does that make any sense? For Jesus to come now, if you uh, are a Christian or were a Christian who uh, lived in the Christian worldview for a while, this is a question that has perhaps never occurred to you. And so, I'm going to uh, deal with some of the easy answers that might come to the top of your head. But I think what you will realize as we go through this conversation is that this is something that you've probably never really thought about, and it gets stranger and stranger the more you actually put your mind to it. I want to start with a passage from Luke. It's Luke chapter 19 and 10. It's a passage that everybody knows. Every uh, former Christian knows it because they have probably read their Bibles. That's why they're former Christians. And in fact, most Christians have at least heard of it. They've sat through a sermon that they stayed awake through long enough to to have heard this passage. Uh, It goes something like this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Just that simple. For the Son of Man came to seek and save lost. Never mind why Jesus is referring to himself in the third person. I mean, we assume that he's talking about himself. I, I think that's a pretty good assumption. Uh, he calls himself the Son of Man. He does not explain this. Never mind uh, his enigmatic tendencies. We are going to cover that uh, probably in week number five or six. Uh, so you can look forward. Uh, to that, I've got uh, several things to say about that. Sorry, I've got a lot. Uh, I've got to swallow a lot uh, these days. I'm okay. Don't worry about it. Um, so, uh, to seek and save the lost. Uh, this is this is a nice bumper sticker. It makes no sense at all. It makes no sense. First of all, who is not lost in Jesus' day? Who is not lost? Who would who would fit in the category of not lost? Everybody is lost. Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. And he also says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We generally interpret that to mean not only have all sinned who can sin, but they will sin and will likely do so again. We're all lost. We, we are all lost. Jesus doesn't have to come to seek the lost. Turn around, Jesus. Oops, there's one. You see that guy over there? There's another one. Here, go to the bar over there. There's another one. Uh, why don't you just go home and spend some time with your brothers? Oh, there are some more. You, you don't have to seek the lost. I don't, I don't even understand what that means in this context. Because it implies that there would be some who are not lost and that those who are lost have to be sought out somehow. What could that possibly mean? He also goes on to say that he came to seek the lost. I have come, or the Son of Man has come to seek the lost. Explain to me again why you had to come. Why did you have to come down here? From there, to seek the lost. Uh, Is is, is God unable to visually spot the lost from heaven? I, I assume that Jesus God, Yahweh, has been able to see lost people from heaven. And so it doesn't make any sense that he would have to come to seek the lost. So what is it about this seeking that he's doing now, that he's on earth, that he was incapable of doing from heaven? I do not know the answer to that. And I guarantee you don't know the answer to it either. I'd love to hear your speculation. I mean, I really would love to hear your speculation. You can uh send me an email at um uh at redlettersbook at gmail.com, redlettersbook at gmail.com, or you can just jump into the comments uh underneath this show if uh, if you've uh, already become a patron. Uh let me let me know uh why did Jesus have to come here? That's uh patreon.com slash red letters in case uh you haven't found the uh the Patreon. Why did Jesus have to come. i I can uh, assure you, I did not cover this in the book. <laughs> so uh, if you are reading through the book to try to find my answer, it's not there. I don't cover it. I don't know. it It doesn't make sense. I don't even think it occurred to me um when I was writing the book, when I uh, started the project some uh, six years ago now. i I don't know what it means for Jesus to have come to seek the lost. Now, I can grasp a little bit more kind of what it means for him to come to save the lost, but I'm not so sure I'm right about that either. Uh, so, the, the clear and easy and obvious answer that Christians would give to why Jesus came is that he did so as a part of an act of redemption okay, this is this is a part of what he needed to do to save us from our sins. He came to save the lost, and part of that saving the lost was physically dying on a cross and physically bodily rising again. and And you can't exactly do that from heaven. You, you couldn't possibly die in heaven. And so, if you can't die in heaven, you can't be resurrected in heaven. And besides, even if you could, no one would see it. So, surely that explains why Jesus had to come. Or does it? I mean, when Christians say this sort of thing out loud, it it makes sense to them, I guess. And and maybe it makes sense to you if you're not paying very close attention. But then you've got to ask yourself some questions, uh, such as, why is forgiveness uh, the result of someone bleeding and dying? Why why are those two things linked? What law of nature requires something to die so that forgiveness can take place? Um, Hebrew, the the book of Hebrews uh, has this nice little gem. Uh, that there can be no forgiveness without blood. And that uh, author uh, refers to the Old Testament laws where everything had to be uh, cleansed by blood and nothing could be forgiven without blood and sacrifices. Things had to die. They had to bleed and die in, in order for your forgiveness to um to occur. This is not a law of nature. This is this is just this is something that God cooked up <laughs> and he could have made forgiveness predicated on anything. Um he had the options. He has all the options. He has all the control. And so uh the idea that the only way for things to be forgiven is through blood and death is a choice. That's his choice. That he made. And so you can say, well, he had to come and die for our sins, because that's the only way for our sins to be forgiven. But he's the one who made that rule that we that he had to to come and die for our sins. If you see what I mean, it's not some natural law that that naturally follows that if you sin, someone more righteous has to die. Uh, Just think about it. Uh, Every time someone does you wrong, you don't think to yourself, well, uh, someone's going to have to die for that. I mean, you do if you're a psychopath, but you otherwise don't. Our our justice system doesn't do that. And our justice system is sometimes psychopathic, it seems. But even our, our broken justice system isn't that broken. There's also the matter of why the sacrifice needed to be a human sacrifice at all. I mean, honestly, if you believe in uh, the version of atonement that required Jesus to be sacrificed for your sins, and you believe that Jesus was fully human, you should denounce Christianity as a cult of human sacrifice. You, you should just walk away right there on that basis. You don't need anything else. That's enough. Walk away. Run away. But it doesn't make it any better by saying, well, but he was also half God. Well, first of all, the doctrine isn't that he was half God and half human. It was that he was fully human and fully God. He was 200%. Uh, so, yeah, try to try to work that out mathematically. It doesn't help, though. Uh, Jesus did not come to die as uh, a God dying. He came to die as a man dying. But even if you say, well, but he's a God, and so that makes it better. No, a God is still a sentient, intelligent being, okay? Uh, so that doesn't make it better. If, if he was a Martian instead of a human, that doesn't make it better. So uh, saying that he was a God doesn't, doesn't actually save that or improve it. Uh, the Jews were perfectly happy with the blood of bulls and goats uh, serving as a sacrifice. And if, if God wanted a one-time-and-for-all sacrifice, because the blood of the typical bull and goat, no matter how pure, it wasn't good enough, God could have created a special animal, a special bull, a special goat, a special sheep that was so perfect. It defied all other kinds of perfection. This animal could have borne the sins of the world. You see, God could have done that if he, if he had wanted to. There was no reason for anybody to die on a cross, and there was certainly no reason for him to come and shapeshift into an embryo and grow up as a man and die. On the cross, that doesn't make sense, no matter how many ways you turn it to look at it. Now, here, I want to mention that my friend Peter, Peter, by the way, is a Christian. He's a progressive Christian. Uh, you can uh, you can interact with him uh, on the board. he's uh, he's in the comments. He's very active. Uh, he He gave a rebuttal, a very thoughtful rebuttal uh, to this. Uh, he and I have had some conversations about this before. And uh, I gave uh, people an opportunity to tell me why they thought Jesus came uh, to Earth. And so Peter said some things that uh, I could mostly predict. I'm going to categorize uh, some of them here in a minute. But I just want to say that Peter would probably agree with almost everything that I've said up to this point. <laughs> he He would not he would not actually disagree. Uh, with the bulk of that, uh, he would say that Jesus did not come as a sacrifice, any kind of sacrifice for any kind of sin. So um, that that kind of lets you know where he is. And even though I'm just going to categorize his views for this podcast, uh, he has given me permission to print his uh, entire comment in the newsletter, so that's one of the things that will be in the newsletter at the end of this month. You can also find his comment uh, right there on the board uh, and interact with it uh, as well. But uh, I did want to share some of what he said as he's the only Christian who uh, wrote a a nice uh, response and rebuttal to what I had to say. so we'll we'll go over. Uh, a little bit of that later, later, Peter. So I know that if you're if you're listening, you're thinking, but I already said no. Okay, I'm going to get to it. <laughs> I'm going to get to it. Um, and uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the comments. Uh, and uh, if you would like your comments uh, to either appear in the newsletter or be uh, discussed on the program, you know what to do. Send me an email. Uh, red letters book. Red letters book at gmail dot com, or just uh, drop a comment in uh, the Patreon. I will see it, patreon.com slash red letters. And uh, I look forward to interacting with your uh, comments as well. There were also a few other comments that uh, I want to take a look at uh, as well. But uh, Peter, uh, representing the Christian side of things um, and other comments, either representing some who've never been Christians or former Christians or maybe agnostic. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at those two, but I'm always interested to see what Christians have to say, especially Christians with different points of view. If you're a Christian with a, a different point of view, uh, drop me a line. Uh, I want to hear from you. I want to uh, chat with you, and um, let's, uh, let's have a meeting of the minds. All right. Now, before we get much further, let's go ahead and talk about alternative... Christian views. Uh, I sometimes talk about progressive Christianity and academic Christianity. It would probably be better to talk about all of it as alternative Christianity, because both of these camps are proposing views that are outside of the mainstream of Christianity. If you just uh, take the average person sitting in the average pew, listening to the average preacher preach an average Christian sermon, that, that person in the pew will never hear the things that come out of academic Christianity and progressive Christianity. It, it's They will simply never hear it. And if they ever heard it, uh, they would dismiss it as false teaching. But it's, it's worse than that, I think. When we talk about academic Christianity, uh, we talk about the seminary, people who come out of seminary and who uh, start proposing things that are generally only taught in seminary. Well, there is no such thing as seminary either. Uh, we, need to, we need to stop talking about it in that way. It depends on which seminary they come out of because it's not as if all Christians, uh, preachers who come out of seminary agree. They do not. So, those seminaries are, can be subdivided into schools of thought, and they can also be further subdivided into denominations. So, you know, a Catholic seminary is going to be very different from a Calvinist seminary, just to give you an idea. So, uh, they're both academics, and and I can call them both academic Christianity, but they're not the same thing at all. And uh, even within the same denominational seminary, I can talk about the difference between uh, Faulkner University, uh, Abilene University, and Pepperdine University. They are all Church of Christ. Universities—they're all different. They don't agree with each other. They're—they're they're from different schools of thought. Now, uh, what the progressive Christianity—that's a—that's a different beast too. And by the way, progressives have uh, differences in their beliefs too. There are different nuances and flavors of progressive Christians, but largely progressive Christians are those Christians who are providing the alternative view because Christianity can be rather unpalatable and unbelievable, even to Christians. And so they move to something that is more palatable and more believable, and uh, what they think better represents true Christianity, or at least what Christianity should be, but what they represent is something that no Christian, virtually no Christian in the real world, in a real church, actually believes. What they are proposing is an alternative to that so that people who are leaving the faith will have a soft landing. They'll have some place to go other than the exit. And that's, I think, a lot of what progressive Christianity provides. It provides an alternative to the bad narrative that mainstream Christianity has become. Now, frankly, I like progressive Christianity better. I think the world would be better off if progressive, you know, slash alternative Christianity uh, was the thing that most people went to, but it's not. It's not that thing. And uh, right now, I'm not talking about the Christianity I would prefer. I'm talking about the Christianity that is, and I'm trying to get at the things that this Jesus actually taught in the red letters of Scripture. So, I'm not not interested in what some academic uh, massages it into or what some alternative Christian view is that that tries to make it better. Uh, We can look at some of those things separately, but I'm not interested in alternative Christianity, largely. That said, let's take a, a look at a couple of alternative Christian views, for why Jesus came. Because obviously the mainstream view of why Jesus came is to save us from sin. He had to give himself as a human sacrifice uh, so that God would forgive us for sins. Well, that's awful. That's been pointed out many times. That's awful. If that's that's your view of Christianity, you should walk away. Or if you don't want to walk away, you can consider a couple of these alternative views. The first of these views is to show us God's true character. Show us who God truly is. I'm going to dismiss this fairly quickly. Okay, uh, Jesus does not do a good job of showing us who God really is. Uh, Jesus is more confusing than ever. He's one of the most confusing, most polarizing uh, characters in all of fiction. And uh, if you if you don't say it's all fiction, in all of history, so he doesn't he doesn't provide clarity at all. He provides a lot more confusion because people were pretty sure about who God was before Jesus came on the scene. The Jews weren't really having issues about understanding who their God was. Christianity has not helped the Jews understand their God. So, it, it seems like a, just an arrogant, uh, presumptuous claim that your guy is the one who clarified who God is. That is that is simply uh, not the case. Um, But more than that, it just doesn't work philosophically. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. So, he knew exactly how he would be perceived by people in the first 39 books of the Bible. (laughs) Let's take a step back from that. Just, just something to, t- to tickle the back of your brain. We don't have to dwell on it too long. If it wasn't for the Bible, you wouldn't know of Yahweh at all. You don't find him in the Vedas. You don't find him in the um, uh, in in ancient um, sacred texts that are that are much older than the Bible. So, if it wasn't for the Bible, the Hebrew Scripture in particular, you wouldn't have any sense of Yahweh. And uh, I say the Hebrew scripture, the Christian scriptures would not exist in a vacuum. They cannot exist in a vacuum. And so, they would not exist to tell you who Yahweh was either. Um, But further, uh, philosophically, this all-powerful, all-knowing God who knew exactly how he would be portrayed in the vast majority of the book that we call the Bible or, or collection of writings that we call the Bible, he knew that people would misunderstand him. Let's just give the alternate Christians their their point for a moment, and say that the uh, Hebrews misunderstood who God was and they got it wrong. They misrepresented God. God knew that, so he comes in um, the first century in a way that people could understand him better. Well, if people could understand him better in the first century, why didn't he just come that way in the first place? Why did he go through all of the garbage he went through in the Old Testament simply to be misunderstood and misrepresented? Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, how do some uh, Christians deal with this problem? Well, I know of at least one person uh, personally who has said on a recent Uh, podcast. I'll I'll go ahead and give you a shout out. uh, Dale Glover uh, over Real Seekers uh, Ministry recently had a conversation with uh, a Christian defector, uh, a friend of mine, David Kimball Cook. uh, To to just be clear, David Kimball Cook was a friend of mine, even when he was calling himself a Christian. Um, And hopefully we'll have him uh, on the show to uh, talk to us. He's a very smart guy, uh, has always been a very careful thinker, and I've always uh, respected and enjoyed conversations with him, uh, Dale uh, believes that even if the Bible has errors and it, it could have some insignificant errors, Dale would call them insignificant if, they, if he would call them errors at all, he would say even the errors are inspired by God. So God wanted those errors to be there. Uh, This is not too far off from what Randall Rouser, uh, another person that I consider a friend and uh, expect to have on the show at some point, uh, Randall Rouser would agree with this. He would agree that God knew that people would misrepresent him and misunderstand him, but he loved them enough to just kind of meet them where they were. I don't want to make it sound like Randall and Dale are in lockstep on this. That there's a there are nuances in in differences in what they believe and teach on this matter. I just want to say that that there are those Christians that would um, say that the first thirty nine books, in particular, get God wrong. But God is okay with that, <laughs> and uh, so ph- philosophically, I would just say that that's that's a real problem. If God is okay with having most of the testimony about Him being wrong, uh, He's a dick, uh, and it, and it has caused more undue confusion than almost anything in in the Bible. And uh, I just I I think it's an an evil thing to allow, allow people to think wrong things about you that could potentially uh, cause them to lose their soul when you could have cleared it up. I mean, this is a time when God was talking to the people and acting directly among the people all the time in big ways every other day. God could have easily cleared it up. God was talking directly to prophets God was speaking to Moses in a tent, face-to-face as with a friend. You can find this passage in the Bible. Uh, If you want to uh, wait for my uh, newsletter at the end of the month, I write a little bit about uh, this. This is the relationship that God had with the Old Testament writers, supposedly. And you're telling me that the New Testament writers who did not know Jesus, had never met Jesus, they have a more accurate take. On God, than when God was talking to people directly and they were writing it down. You have got to be kidding me. Okay, another view, and I think uh, probably a more recent view, uh, as proposed by people like Mark Caris and uh, Thomas Ord, they would say that Jesus came, that God had to come to earth in the form of a human to demonstrate that love wins love wins this is quite the bumper sticker and I, I can tell you this is this is one of the things that uh peter holds and and i love peter and i hope that everyone knows that i i, I love peter and I, I love talking to peter and i love uh mulling over his opinions but uh P- peter would also propose this and i've pointed out as as i'm going to point out um, that's that's just crazy. <laughs> now, okay, let me take that back. Um, it's, it's a beautiful idea. It's not a crazy idea. Love wins is not a crazy idea. It's simply nonsensical. Is that better? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't explain anything. I don't know what that means. Love wins. Is, is love competing with something? Tell me more about these games. Well, you can say, well, love is competing with hate. Um, I, don't think that, I don't think that emotions compete in that way. Emotions are emotions. Uh, they're in, in a good, fully functioning, well-developed, emotionally mature human is able to feel, experience the full range of emotions. So I, I would argue that you are not fully emotionally mature if all you can feel are what we call the positive emotions. If all that you can feel is love, but never anger, never disappointment, never hatred, if you can't feel greed and jealousy and and put that in context uh, with things like hope and passion uh then I don't think that you're really emotionally mature. You're afraid of half of your humanity. And you shouldn't be cowering in a corner afraid of the natural human beast. And I think the natural human beast can be tamed and refined, but that doesn't mean that they are stripped of their humanity. And so the the idea of love wins is to suggest that nothing else should be a part of the human emotional toolkit besides love. I think that's a very uh fearful uh and uh unproductive, uh, uh immature idea of emotion. And I, I don't mean any harm to people who say this, but this is this is what it sounds like to me when when you say something like love wins. Beyond that, I don't understand how anything about the Jesus story demonstrates that love wins. What, how does love win in, in Jesus pretending to be an embryo or God pretending to be an embryo, having a very controversial ministry, getting pe- uh, a bunch of people mad at him, getting himself killed. And then coming out of death in in kind of defiance of that, how does that demonstrate that love wins? I think the best you can say is that the power of God wins. If if there's a God who has some power, you can you can say that power wins. I can I can see that. I can go with that. Um, I don't see how power though is automatically associated or conflate it with love, so let's grant for a moment that God is a powerful being who can raise his favorite people from the dead. So what? if If the devil was a powerful being that could raise his favorite people from the dead, would that suggest that love wins? I don't, you see, I don't, I don't put those two things together. I don't think that, I don't think it would suggest that. And so I'm not entirely sure how love wins is the message of Christianity. Now, um, another thing you could say is that the faithful win, uh, the home team wins, you know, you could say that, um, people who, uh, believe and repent and are baptized and any any other um, requirements that you can get out of the words of Jesus, if the people who do those things, uh, they are raised from the dead and live forever in joy and peace. So, that sounds like a win. So, you can say the people who have faith win and the people who are faithful and to the end who run the good race and fight the good fight uh, all the way to the end, they win, but that's not love. That's, that's just uh, a subset of people picking the right team because the rest of the people lose under under that idea. And who are the rest of the people? Well, if you look at other words of Jesus, it's the majority. And depending on how you interpret those words, the vast majority, But but let's just say the simple majority of people lose. So overall, it it still doesn't look like love wins, even even taking it, giving it the most generous interpretation. So love wins doesn't really make sense to me uh, based on the story of Jesus. And you're just going to have to do a better job at interpreting what you mean by love wins and pointing out what in the story suggests that love wins as opposed to power wins or picking the right team wins Um, and neither one of those things have anything at all to do with love. So I'd like someone to, to really explain that further to me. I'll be right back after this brief word from the sponsor. And, uh, this week the sponsor is me and you, uh, it's sponsored by me because, uh, I'm the one doing the work and, putting all of the investment into this podcast. So uh, I'm, I'm sponsoring it. <laughs> Yay, me. Um, but it's also sponsored by you. It's sponsored by you, the people who uh, care about uh, a good conversation uh, that presents your idea of truth. Whatever your idea of truth is, it needs patrons, just like the arts. Uh, it is often said that a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth laces up its boots. Well, you know, the truth could use a better pair of boots without laces and that costs money and time. Uh, and uh, it also costs something else. You know, we need more people to know about it, more people to hear about it. And so if you don't have the money or the time, but you do have a social media following, uh, then mention this show to uh, on your social media following, share the link. Uh, you're listening, if you're listening to this show and you are not a patron right now, uh, go to patreon.com slash red letters. That's where you find this show. And um, the reason you're able to listen to this show right now for free, not being a patron, is because the uh, shows in the first uh, month that I'm doing this, the month of January, are free. I'm I'm opening it up to everyone So that you can hear, but normally this is a members only podcast, the show that you're hearing right now. And uh, starting in February, it will be $1 per episode for the shows. Technically, it's that now, but I have the ability to open it up to everybody. And no one who is a patron right now has to pay that $1. And uh, so you pay at the end of the month and uh, you pay per shows that I do that are members only that I charge for. So that's a lot of caveats. So uh, when I do members only shows that I want everyone to hear that are, that are open to the public, patrons don't pay for those. So cool. Um, but I want you to um, I want you to think about becoming uh, a patron right now. There are, there are a few benefits to that. First of all, uh, lend your voice in the discussions because that underneath every show there are discussions, and some of them are quite good. I'm about to read some of the comments. Uh, for this show, because I, I put out uh, each week what I'm going to talk about and uh, invite some uh, comments there, so that we can have some comments about the thing that we're actually talking about. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna include that. You can participate in that. I really want to hear from you, and that's a good place to do it. You can also uh, send me an email at redlettersbook at, red at gmail dot com. Redlettersbook at gmail. Dot com Another great benefit of being uh, a Patreon member uh, at one dollar per member podcast is that you get the book Red Letters for free. Now, right now, it's four ninety nine on Amazon. You can go to Amazon and buy it right now. You can also buy a, um, a hard. Excuse me. You can buy a hard copy for 14.99. Now when I say hard copy, I don't actually mean a a hardbound copy. I mean a paperback uh copy, but uh you know, a dead tree edition uh for 14.99. I make more money when you buy the the ebook <laughs> actually <laughs> than I do a paperback book. But the paperback uh book will be nice. I'm supposed to have some author copies coming in at some point uh when uh when they ship those out to me. Uh, You can also buy it at my site, Uh, the mothership, uh, you can call it, the Skeptics and Seekers site, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Yeah, that site's still going, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. The first tab uh, it defaults to uh, is... 4S, that skeptics and seekers Sunday sermon. That's going to be a free podcast to everybody, uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to start that in February uh, when the member podcast here gets closed down uh, to members only. Uh, you're going to want you're going you're going to want to stick around though, because we're going to get into the Red Letters book specifically, and uh, we're going to do. You, know, you might think of it as a director's commentary uh, on the book for the next several weeks, starting in February. So I'm doing some background to that now. I'm also trying to give people enough time uh, to become members, get their free copy of the book from uh, patreon.com slash red letters. You'll get the link in your intro letter and um, give you a chance to read it because that's going to be the textbook for a lot of what follows uh, from there. So um, if you go to uh, however. Uh, and you just prefer to have an ebook and not be a patron, that's okay too. You can support uh, this channel that way. The book is still $4.99, and I actually make more money uh, that way than if you go to Amazon uh, and buy either of those ways. And so if you just want to help a brother out, you can go to skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Uh, you can pick up the ebook there, and uh, you can. Uh, also, participate in the new podcast that is coming. Uh, I believe I've probably dropped this podcast in that feed uh, this week. And so uh, if you're if you're hearing this from that feed, just know that the Red Letters podcast won't be coming through there. A new podcast will be coming through. Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon, or 4S, we'll be talking about that more in the next couple of weeks. But that's that's going to be starting up um, very soon. I'm really excited about the beginning, uh, of that. One more benefit to, uh, becoming a patron is that you get the newsletter that I'll put out every month at the end of every month. Uh, it will include all of my blog posts, which tend to be, uh, quite long and detailed and other things. So, um, I'm, I'm enjoying putting that together too. Okay. Um, that said, uh, let's get back to the show. Okay, let's start with a comment from thegamedistrict.com. Is, is someone using their username to promote their site? Okay, this, uh, that, is, that is simply unacceptable. So this comment is from thegamedistrict.com. Oh, one word, thegamedistrict.com. Hi, Darren. Uh, he, he has this to say. From what I can tell of what the Bible says and talking with Christians, Jesus had to come because God made the rule that he needed blood in order to forgive people. Apparently, he is fairly bloodthirsty, which is why death and murder is his solution for everything. He also prefers that his followers are gullible, hence the story of Doubting Thomas. So once he has gotten all the gullible people surrounding him, maybe, so that they will believe he is loving no matter what he does, he can come back down to earth. He needs to come down and kill everyone else that had critical thinking skills and empathy and torture them for the rest of eternity, see the bloodthirsty comment above, and probably why he needs his followers to be gullible as well. Um I think this this comment is is pretty self explanatory. Uh, let me just say, uh, Darren, you are not demonstrating love's win mentality with that comment. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm I'm just saying um, that's that's not a love's win point of view. Um, Right, so let's see there's some com- there's some conversation uh between Peter uh, and Darren there uh Peter says Jesus shows us God's actions and will okay, well, if Jesus shows us God's actions and will, Jesus is the one who tells us about hell for instance God God actually has nothing to say, zero words about hell. Hell seemed to be a pretty major part of uh, Jesus' ministry. So whatever hell is, we we might do a show on hell. It could be as early as next week, and in focusing on what Jesus had to say um, about hell, um, you can't you can't divorce Jesus from teachings of hell and even misunderstandings about. Uh, hell, as as I will show when we talk about what Jesus had to say about hell. Um, so uh, Darren, uh, otherwise known as thegamedistrict.com, um, yes, he did. He told us he didn't come to bring peace but a sword, and people have been starting wars over his presence ever since. There are also thousands dying from disease and natural disasters every day around the world. Okay. Um, Right. I, you know, I I mock Darren for his uh, acerbic assertions, but I happen to agree with most of the sentiment here. So there's not, there's, uh, there's not a lot to... um, Add to that. Um, Tyler, I'm going to get to your comments here in a minute. I want to get to Peter's main comment. Let me me get that out of the email. It doesn't look like it has repopulated into the comment section yet. It it showed up initially, and it disappeared. and it hasn't showed up again, but I have it in my email. Just give me a half sec. Okay, I've got it right here. Uh, Peter says, So a conservative evangelical may say he was born to die. I disagree. I think his teaching, death, and resurrection were all both important and interlinked as part of a package. He came to show us what God is like and to demonstrate through teaching and actions, how we can be fully human. His death and resurrection then put that teaching into practice, demonstrating that love wins and defeating death. Okay. Um, so I, I do like the way Peter writes. So thank you, Peter, for this. I wanted to include uh, all of this. But as you can see, I've, I've already covered... Uh, some of this, this is uh, this is full of buzzword salad, uh, full of empty calories to me. This is a part of the uh, enigmatic way that Jesus would have spoken. So I think you're channeling Jesus pretty well here. But let me just point out a couple of examples of what I mean, uh, Peter. This is this is very uh, Deepak Chopra-ish in some ways. I like Deepak, by the way. Some people think that if I if I say you're like Deepak that that I'm insulting you, I'm neither insulting you nor him. It's just that sometimes he speaks in ways that are incomprehensible. You have to kind of get inside of his head to understand what it is he's trying to say, because it just sounds like sometimes you're you're saying things that go well on bumper stickers, but that aren't fully fleshed out. And you know, if you say it and it sounds deep enough then you don't have to explain it, and, and I would disagree with that. You do actually have to explain it because we mere humans don't understand what the heck you're talking about. So a couple of, couple of examples of things we've already uh, gone over here. He came to show us what God is like. Uh, that's, that's kind of preposterous, uh, I think uh for the reasons that I gave, and uh he also uh says at the end that or, or near the end demonstrating that love wins. we've already gone over that, but you see these are these are kind of mainstays of uh progressive slash alternative Christian thinking uh about this. Uh, he also adds a couple of things that uh, I didn't want to go over. I mean, I I, I wanted to kind of hold off until this, uh, until reading this uh, comment from him. Um, he adds to the loves win idea uh, and defeating death. He's demonstrating that love wins and that death is defeated. Now, this is something that even mainstream Christians say that Jesus came to defeat death. I, I have never understood that even fully as a Christian. I, I know what Christians say, but it, it doesn't make sense. It rings, um, rings a little hollow. How did Jesus defeat death exactly? I'll wait while someone comes up with an answer for that. Uh, you can say, well, but he he rose from the dead, so he wasn't the first one to rise from the dead. He wasn't the last one to rise from the dead. Um, His resurrection was not the most dramatic. In fact, it was the least dramatic of all resurrections in the Bible. You know why? Because it's not narrated. No one was there to see it. No one was there to see it. (laughs) There are zero accounts of his actual rising from the dead, whereas all of the other resurrections well, they were they were narrated at least a little bit. So his his resurrection isn't even the most interesting resurrection uh, in the Bible. So how does how does that mean he defeated death? I would think that the first guy who rose way back in the Hebrew Scriptures uh, would show that death was defeated. But of course, Peter discounts almost everything that happens uh, in in uh, the front. Two thirds of Scripture, but even in the Gospels, Jesus is not the first one to be resurrected. It's not even the most dramatic in my opinion so uh once again, I don't see how that shows that that death was defeated um, what's what's different well the Main answer Christians will give you is that Jesus' death was different because his was not just a mere resuscitation where uh, he would eventually die again, but that he was raised and will never die again. Now, to me, one's subsequent re-death has nothing to do with whether they were resurrected. So, I I I I, I just don't credit that answer uh, at all uh it doesn't i don't care <laughs> i don't care if um you stayed alive or died again there by the way there were people in the old testament who didn't die <laughs> so um that that's not i don't i don't think it's particularly interesting to say, well, but we've we've smashed these two things together now. He rose and he didn't die. Neither one of those things are particularly unique and neither one of those things suggests that death has been defeated. In fact, I would say that the real sign that death has been defeated is if a person doesn't die at all. <laughs> but uh because if if you die, then you know death is still going. And it's just a matter of whether you can uh, live again after that somehow through through necromancy. Um, it, it, just to, just to put this in context, uh, Christians don't say that blindness was defeated simply because some blind people regained their sight. Uh, they don't use that kind of language for that. They don't say that um, leprosy has been defeated simply because people were cured, supposedly, of leprosy. and There's no indication that they died again of leprosy. So, I mean, they, uh, you know, presumably the people that were healed of blindness or deafness or lameness or leprosy didn't get those things again. But no one would say, "Ah, oh, you see, leprosy has been defeated. <laughs> you know, but we, but we say that with death and only referring to Jesus' death. For some reason, that just doesn't uh, track with me. So once again, I'm I'm going to need Christians to explain what you mean by death was defeated. Uh, so there's another bit in here. I think that um, if you listen to old uh, John Shelby Spong uh, lectures, you you will hear this uh, term uh, that Jesus shows us what it's like to be fully human, and uh, as as Peter puts it. Um, demonstrates through teaching and actions how we can be fully human. What does that mean? What does fully human mean? What do you mean when you say fully human? Am I not fully human? Are you not fully human? What are you then? What are you are you, what are you? half human and half what exactly? Or... Um, you know, if you're not half of something else, what percentage of human do you think you are if you don't think that you are fully 100 percent human right now? What, what characteristic do you think humans should have that humans don't have right now, but that Jesus gave us? That we we would, not, we would not understand full humanity without Jesus because he gave us blank. Someone please fill in that blank. Once again, this is, this is word salad with empty calories. What does this mean? What does this mean uh, that he showed us how to be fully human? Also, it doesn't pass the philosophy test or the theology test because Jesus is said to be 100% human, 100% God. That makes him 200% Percent of something, not fifty percent human, fifty percent God. Uh, so uh, the math is important here. He's he's a hundred percent human, okay, but he's also a hundred percent God. Is to be fully human to also be fully God? Because you know what humans are not—they're zero percent gods. They're <laughs> they're not gods, and if you want to say that we are, even rhetorically, you are not tracking with anything that looks like mainstream Christianity at all. Christians would say that that would be idolatry. Uh, I once did some uh, musical work for a church up in the uh, Seattle, Washington area. Uh, It was called The Church of the Divine Man. I think most Christians would take real offense to that idea, especially as they were uh, presenting it. Uh, humans are not gods, in any way. And so, if Jesus is teaching how, uh, teaching us how to be fully human, well, he would have to be human without also being God, because we don't have any godhood to fall back on. And Jesus did. So that doesn't that doesn't work either philosophically or, uh, in my opinion theologically, but it also doesn't work commonsensically, because Jesus wasn't fully human, just using this colloquially, in any way that I think of. He doesn't teach me how to be more fully human than I am. In fact, he, he teaches me less than what I know. He, he died younger than me. He doesn't have as much life experience as I do. I've got more life experience than Jesus. Jesus can learn a, a, a thing or two about being fully human from me, he has nothing to teach me about being uh, fully human. Jesus wasn't married and, in fact, thought marriage was a bad idea. And and you want to tell me he's got something to teach me about being fully human. He had no kids. He adopted no kids. He fostered no kids. And he's going to tell me uh, about being fully human. He had no uh, crippling diseases, as far as anyone knows, uh, or... Uh, crippling injuries, and he's going to tell me about being fully human. Um, right? Shut the fuck up! You, you, <laughs> you are you are out of your mind if you think that Jesus has anything to say to anyone about fully human. Look at the life that he was supposed to have lived—a perfect life. But Christians would tell you that it is impossible for other humans to live that life. And so he doesn't show us how to be fully human at all. There's nothing about his life that describes the human experience. And what do the authors of the gospel choose to write about and focus on? Well, they write about his theology. They write about his ministry. But you know what they don't write about? They don't write about the day-to-day existence of his mundane, boring life. We don't know anything about his life, about the real man of Jesus. You know, the human that went through human things that maybe could have taught us something about what it was like to be fully human. That is exactly the thing the gospels don't teach us. So I'm going to need some... uh, I'm going to need something more than these empty calories about how Jesus, through his teachings, taught us what it's like to be fully human. Because I'm going to show through the red letters process that he didn't know the first thing about being fully human. He's the last person you should go to for advice about being fully human. All right let's uh let's see what else we have. I'm gonna go ahead and read another one for from uh Peter because I ask a, a couple of questions. I ask why Jesus came, and uh the other question I ask is why he came back. uh if you want to see what uh I have to say on that, uh you might have to wait for the lo- uh, newsletter because we're running out of time and uh i want to I want to get to these comments so um this is what Peter had to say about that to help me segue into this question he says. Uh, as for his coming back, there are many different understandings of what that means. The key thing, I believe is that there will be a new heaven and earth where the victory he has already won over death and suffering and sin will be put fully into effect. That's the why, less sure on the how. once again, thanks Peter. I appreciate uh your writing. Um, I am getting fat off of these empty calories though because. I don't know what you mean. And, you know, the last part of it, well, that's the why, and you're not sure about the how. You could have said that's the what, but you're not sure about the how. and um, Or the what and the why, but you're not sure about the how. But if you're not sure about the how or in what sense this might be literal, then I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, the Bible makes some, the New Testament makes some allusions to a new heaven and a new earth earth but there is nothing clear about what that means what does a new heaven and a new earth mean because Christians seem to be fairly divided over uh, matters of eschatology and let's just talk about simple eschatology eschatology is a big word just means end times uh, so let's just talk about uh simple eschatology what is the end goal I, I my experience I don't I don't have a, a survey in front of me here but my experience, My intuition tells me that we're probably about 50 50 um, on the idea that uh, when Jesus comes back, all Christians, all believers, all of the saved will go to heaven. They will leave Earth and do some shipless space travel on a cloudy magic carpet to the other realm of heaven where they will. Reign in God's big mansion that Jesus is preparing right now. That's that's the end, that's the end goal. And then, what happens to heaven and earth? It will be destroyed. This this uh, sinful realm will be destroyed. The other. Uh, major idea is that Jesus will come back on a cloud with the dead saints now re uh, re risen and re and he will set up an earthly kingdom right here on, on the planet. And he's going to remake the the universe and remake earth. And uh, the new kingdom will be set up somewhere uh, in what we think of as uh, Jerusalem, somewhere in the Middle East uh, today, and he will have an actual throne and an actual mansion here on Earth, and and we will not be making a cloudy space travel to another dimension, but that we will live out our eternity in flesh on Earth. Um, I, I was of the uh, space travel to heaven destroy the whole creation kind of Christian myself. But honestly, I wouldn't defend either position today, even just as just as a guy looking at the Bible to see what the authors thought. I think the authors thought different things. That, because you can support both ideas. In fact, you can support more ideas than that in a reading of scripture. And so if all you're going to tell me is just give me some allusion to one of the passages uh that says new heaven and new earth, well that could mean anything. We have no idea what that actually means. And if you don't know what it means, I don't even know why you bother saying it. Um, because I don't know what you mean by uh, there will be a new heaven and a new earth where Jesus rules. So we're going we're gonna to be raised in flesh and Jesus is going to sit on a, um, a throne somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, dispensing his government somehow from a palace. And by the way, new heaven and new earth, if you believe that this is a, a literal illusion, why on earth are we getting a new heaven? What's wrong with heaven? <laughs> so I don't know. Are you, it, it, does new heaven and new earth just mean the universe, this this universe, the whole universe, or will it just be earth? Um, wh- what do you mean by any of this? No Christian ever tells you what they mean by this. They just use the words and move on because they've said the words and they don't have to explain it now, Kind of like Jesus. you just say a thing and move on as if anybody knows what you're talking about. and the fact is, even you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so a new earth and a new a uh, new heaven and a new earth where the victory he has already won over death and suffering and sin. Again, what on earth does that mean that he won any victory over death and suffering and sin? Guess what? We have a planet full of death and suffering and sin. So we have people like yourself with a fantasy that these things have been conquered. But as near as I can tell, that's just a fantasy because there is no outward sign that any of these metaphysical things have been conquered in any way so uh that doesn't that doesn't actually tell me why Jesus needs to uh make a space dimensional journey physically back to this realm um, so i i I appreciate the thought here. But that's, not gonna, that's that just doesn't answer the question for me, and I, and I hope that you can offer some clarification. And if you do, I'll be glad to uh, present that on another show or in the newsletter if, if we don't time, have time. We're, we're running a little long, but I wanted to get to Tyler uh, here. Uh, so thanks, Tyler, for this um, is maybe the comment of the, the week for me. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the law would change until everything is accomplished. I think it follows logically that Jesus supposed second coming means that everything has not been accomplished yet. If everything has been accomplished, then logically, Jesus' second coming won't accomplish anything. So, what's the point of the second coming? Um, Right. I, I think That's kind of self explanatory. Peter does uh, respond to this. Uh, It has already been accomplished. That's why the law no longer applies. But but Peter, when you say it has been accomplished, what has been accomplished? (laughs) What is it here? Uh, You can point to um, Jesus' supposed words on the cross just before he died. He said, It is finished. But now, a couple of things about that. Note that when he said it is finished, he was still alive. (laughs) because he was alive to say it. So if it was finished before he actually died, um, then I don't understand what you mean by it is finished anyway. And if he was thinking, uh, you know, looking forward to the moment where he would soon die, then that was before his resurrection. So again, I'm not entirely sure what all you're saying is finished um, and therefore what has been accomplished. Uh, Jesus talks about uh, a time when the law is fulfilled, but he never explains what it means to fulfill the law. And I don't understand why Christians would make the connection that Jesus dying would fulfill the law. There's nothing about the law that's fulfilled by a human dying on a cross or even a God dying on the cross. Have you read the law? (laughs) um, So, yeah, so uh, Tyler does respond to that. If everything has been uh, accomplished, then no need for Jesus to come back. Uh, But it seems Jesus will be coming back, according to Christians, uh, which implies he needs to accomplish something, which means everything has not been accomplished. This means the old laws are still in place. Agreed, Tyler. Not one, not Jotner's tittle has changed. Uh, by the way, interesting uh, debate on Modern Debates. He uh, does mention a um, uh, debate. I just want to give it a shout out, Randall Rouser versus Aaron Ra. I like both these guys. I haven't seen the debate yet. I mean to. Um, I don't like Ra- Rouser's chances against Aaron Ra. <laughs> but but uh, I like uh, both men. I look forward to um, to that debate. Okay, that's um, that's going to be all the time. We have, in fact, it's it's really more time uh, than we have. I want to do uh, uh, a segment here on, uh, I, I just, I want to do uh, a segment, a practical segment to look at what Christians are actually saying and doing my whole show for uh, us, Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon, will be all about that, but... I just see the time getting away and I want to try to control the time of these podcasts because I respect your time. Unlike when I was doing skeptics and seekers where a show would routinely go three plus hours and I didn't respect your time. (laughs) But, but then again, I, I think that you guys were, you know, enjoying spending your time uh, with us as much as we enjoy spending our time with you, but we're, we're going to keep it a little bit uh, sharper and more focused. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and um, close out. Here, I think, but uh, don't be surprised if there's not another small podcast during the week where I make up for some of the things that I didn't uh, say today. Because I really uh, enjoy having these chats with you, so I'll see you in the comments. Uh, I'm not promising this, but it's among all things possible that the next member pod, uh, the next podcast member podcast that will also be uh, freely available to everyone, will be on what Jesus had to say about heaven and hell. Uh, This is a topic that's interesting to me. Yes, I've read Bart Ehrman's book. Uh, yes, I'm familiar with uh, with uh, Chris Date uh, and his uh, rethinking hell. Um, you know, I haven't read everything about it because there are a lot of there's a lot of ink that's been spilled uh, over this. But it, you know, it would be interesting to just kind of take a look at what Jesus said, both as Yahweh, and as Jesus, and then presumably his disciples, accurately representing what he says later. So that that'll be an interesting show. It might take me more than one week to put together. So that's kind of why I'm hesitant to say that it's going to happen Uh, on the next show. uh, I've got uh, I've got a deadline that (laughs) I have to meet uh, at work, and so I'm I'm trying to wrap up a project in the pen zone. Kind of how much uh, time I have left after that project's wrapped up. So uh, until next week, uh, just watch the feeds, and uh, I'll see you next time.